0: Thank you for joining us today. We'll be studying 1 Corinthians chapter four. We'll be discussing judging others and our call to make disciple makers. So if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter four, we'll begin our lesson. Why don't we start in prayer. Father in heaven, just thank you so much for this day and for this group and for the fellowship that we have together and father we're so thankful that we live in this country where we can join together every week and dig into the word and pray together and not worry one bit about being persecuted for our gathering together how blessed we are and we just take that for granted we thank you so much for that father and we just ask that you be with us this morning be in this room, be in our heart, help guide our discussions as we dig into the word, particularly this morning as we talk about discipleship and disciple making, which you have called each of us to do. And I ask that you just lead the discussion in a way that you put on our heart exactly what it is you want us to do to help you build your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your word. And thank you for all your blessings. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in 1 Corinthians, and we'll be studying chapter 4, if you'll turn your Bibles there. I'll just be very brief this morning, sometimes I'll fill in more of the context before we get started. So, the one thing that you're going to see Paul refer to in chapter 4 as we get started is what we saw, if you'll look over in chapter 3, verse 4. It says, For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. And you can even flip back further to 1 Corinthians 1.12 where we saw the same thing we see there Paul says now I mean this that each one of you is saying I'm of Paul and I am of Apollos and I am of Cephas meaning Peter and I am of Christ in verse 13 he says has Christ been divided so there were these divisions that were happening in the church that Paul's going to refer to again in chapter four so I just wanted to kind of give you that context that people were lining up, whoever had shared the gospel with them and baptized them, that is the leader that they were then almost worshiping and following and saying, well, I'm one of Paul's disciples, so I'm better than you. No, no, I'm, I'm one of Peter's disciples. I'm actually better than you because it was Peter that is who brought me to Christ. And he's saying, hey, it is not about the leader. It's not about who brought you to Christ. It's about Christ. He's going to refer to that again, so I wanted to remind you of that context, okay? All right, chapter 4. Let a man regard us in this manner. So when he's saying us, he's talking about Paul, Apollos, Cephas. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's saying that Christian leaders should be viewed as servants of Christ. They should be viewed as stewards. And stewards are people who God has entrusted to do certain things. Verse 2, In this case, moreover, It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy." So Paul's saying a steward must be faithful and trustworthy. A steward is not someone who's eloquent with human wisdom. He's been talking about that. That has nothing to do with it. A steward is somebody who has fidelity to Christ. They're trustworthy. They handle their ministries in in the way that they've been entrusted with that ministry by God. Verse three, but to me, It is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. All right, let me clarify this. I don't think Paul is saying here that he never does any self-reflection. I don't think that's what he's talking about because we actually see him in his other letters doing quite a bit of self-reflection. So he does evaluate his own life. That's not what he's talking about. What he is saying is that only Christ will judge him. It's only Christ who is going to be the judge. Only Christ has the authority to judge others. And so he's saying that we shouldn't be puffing ourselves up so that others look at us different. And we shouldn't be puffing ourselves up so that others worship us as some type of a leader. And we shouldn't be trying to puff up leaders and celebrities and thinking that they are almost godlike because of their position, because we're all equal and it's only Christ who will be the judge. And as you think about our culture, how different is that than our culture? I mean, just look at the way people idolize celebrities, for instance. There's some pastors out there that have this aura and following and they're all that. And, And you've seen some of those churches then eventually have a lot of difficulty because it becomes more about this big ego of a pastor than it is about Christ. And sometimes they end up having some terrible problems, and it's terrible that that happens because it has such a negative impact on the church itself. So Paul continues in verse 4. He says, I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. He's saying that we should discern in our own lives how we're living, but we shouldn't be judgmental as to others. It's only Christ who is going to be the judge. We shouldn't even be discerning between good and evil people. Paul's actually going to talk about that next week when we get into chapter 5. But what he's saying is it's the Lord who is going to do the final judge. The Lord is going to decide who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't. And in fact, sometimes I've been asked, hey, is Fred a believer? Well, I don't know if he's a believer. I mean, he appears to be a believer. That's what I usually say is there's all evidence that he's a believer. I'm not the judge. Christ will be the judge. He lives his life. He appears to be a believer because we don't know. Only Christ knows. We're going to see why I'm saying this here as Paul goes on in verse 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. That reference, before the time, he's referring to the second coming of Christ. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So Christ is going to expose what is hidden and even the motives and intentions that each of us have. And God will honor those who have been faithful to Christ. And what Paul is saying, he not only wants them to quit judging each other and quit having these divisions in the church, but he also wants them to quit judging him because there were some people there that were viewing Paul as kind of this, you know, lesser person because he didn't have all of this worldly and earthly wisdom that others had. Verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, and by that he means what's written in Scripture, in order that no one of you might become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. And so he's trying to help them right now because this arrogance has come about as they've gotten into these divisions and they're all kind of puffing each other up, thinking one group's better than the other, and they're not focused on Jesus Christ. They're focused on themselves and their own earthly wisdom. Verse 7, "'For who regards you as superior?' And what do you have that you did not receive? But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So what he's saying is that everything that you've been given has come to you from God. It's by the Holy Spirit through grace. So why are you puffing yourself up, acting like you're all this, when everything that you have has been given to you? And why do you act like it hadn't been given to you? Doesn't that describe our culture? I was talking to a CEO friend of mine just the other day, and we were discussing how very few CEOs don't end up getting, I call it CEO disease, he called it CEO-itis, and they just start believing that it's all about them, that they built this and they got it all, and it was through their genius that the company got to the point where it is today. And just look at the celebrities. Same thing happens with most of the celebrities in Hollywood. They're all this, you know, now they want to tell us what our political views should be because they are just, they're God's gift to us and they did it all and they're smarter than all of us. That's the culture we live in. And this is what Paul is addressing. This is the same thing that was going on in Corinth at the time. Corinth looks just like Austin, Texas. It looks just like Houston, Texas. It looks like any big city. People are just puffed up with themselves. I'm all this. Look at me.
1: You've used words pride, arrogance, division, superiority, boasting, and that feels like it's more than just our city, our country.
0: Self-reliance. Disappointment
1: time is just there's no (laughs) middle ground between friends and neighbors some of of
0: them right
1: Uh, very disturbing
0: they like to say this is a culture of tolerance but it's the most intolerant culture that I've seen in my life the lack of tolerance they're tolerant as long as you agree with them they're tolerant as long as you don't say Jesus Christ next time you're around somebody that's talking about tolerance and how neat it is that our culture is so tolerant just say, well, what do you think about Jesus Christ? And watch him go off. It <laughs> will go off. So let me keep reading here. Verse 8, he says, You are already filled. You've already become rich. You've already become kings without us. And I would indeed that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. So I love this. You know, Paul's being a little sarcastic here. He's feigning praise to them. He's kind of saying like, wow, man, you all are something else. You all have already arrived. How cool. Y'all are it. Boy, I wish I could be there with you so I could reign with you. You know, you are kings. But what he's really trying to point out through his sarcasm is when he says you're already filled, they actually are filled with the Holy Spirit if they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And all the gifts that they've received, they actually have become rich. They've been given their salvation. They've been given spiritual gifts. So they should be humble. They shouldn't be acting like king. And in fact, when he says, you become rich, you've become kings, actually, we won't become kings. We will reign with the king, but it's not for us to be the king. And so Paul's really poking at him here with his sarcasm. Verse 9, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to men. So Paul's saying that God's used the apostles to really bring attention not only from men, but also the angels. The angels in heaven are sitting here watching this all play out. And when you look at Paul's life and in the life of the other apostles, I mean, they suffered severely for the gospel. And they certainly had not become kings. In fact, keep your finger right here in 1 Corinthians 4 and just go to the right over to 2 Corinthians, the next book over. And let's go over to 2 Corinthians 11. And let me begin in verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So if you want, you can go back and look in Deuteronomy 5. I think it's like 5, 3, somewhere in there. There's a commandment that no man shall receive more than 40 lashes. So they always stopped at 39 to make sure they didn't go beyond what was prescribed in the Jewish law. Many, many people died at 39. I mean, it's a terrible thing to be lashed 39 times. And yet, look what happened to Paul. So he's going to just tell a little bit about what his life's been like. Five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not from smoking dope. They threw stones at him. You can go read that. Remember when we were in Acts. Uh, That's in Acts 14, verse 19. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. That means he was just out in the ocean. I've been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Verse 28, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. And yet you can read Paul's letters and he never complains about any of that. He is at peace. He knows that he is the servant of God. He knows he is doing God's will. And even when we started first Corinthians, look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called his apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he knows he is doing exactly what God wants him to do, and he doesn't ever complain about it.
1: It's a miracle he lived through that. It is a miracle. Through any one of these things. Yeah. It is it not
0: just saying it's a miracle. It is a miracle because clearly God was working through Paul's life. He had him. And when you're thinking about some of the trials, and I, when I say when you, I mean me too, when we're going through some tough times, we ought to think about what Paul had to endure. We don't come close to having to go through what he did. And yet his peace, he knew he was always right where God wanted him to be. He didn't complain about it. He knew he was right in the middle of the trial that God wanted him to be in he is the model for us so he goes on in verse 10 we are fools for christ's sake but you are prudent in christ we are weak but you are strong you are distinguished but we are without honor so what he's saying is that they've become prideful and they're arrogant you know when you look at the corinthians from the world's perspective They appeared to be strong and distinguished. And part of that caused division because they all wanted to be even stronger and in a higher place than even the other people around them. This arrogance that they had, lots of pride.
1: This whole section is basically some kind of sarcasm or irony.
0: Yes, it is. Absolutely it is. Paul is using sarcasm here. Verse 11, To this present hour, we, meaning Paul and the apostles, "...are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless." So look how different that is from these Corinthians who are living in arrogance and saying, look at all this that I've amassed, and man, look where I live, look what I have, look at my possessions. Verse 12, he says, "...and we toil, working with our own hands." And listen to these contrasts that he says. "...when we are reviled, or your uh, translation may say ridiculed, we bless." When we are persecuted, we endure, and when we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. So the apostles weren't anything like the Corinthians. The apostles, they didn't act like they had already received their ticket punched to get to heaven and like they'd already received their rewards. That's how the Corinthians were acting. It's like, yeah, well, we have Christ, our tickets punched, and now look at us and look at all this stuff that we've accumulated. We're pretty special people. That's not how the apostles acted at all. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So Paul's trying to say, and as we saw in the verse that we looked at in 2 Corinthians, he's not trying to shame them. He has tremendous love for them. And he's trying to warn them to reject their pride and get away from these divisions that existed within the church. Verse 15, For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, Yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, I want to spend a little time on this. In fact, let me read on, and then we're going to come back. Verse 16, I exhort you, therefore, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church." All right, so let me unpack this a little bit. What Paul is saying is, since he's the one who the Holy Spirit worked through to bring them to their faith, he feels that he has authority from God to admonish them and to be like their spiritual father in that he has the authority given by God to tell them that they are erring in their ways and that they need to obey God and they need to do and follow what Paul taught them to do. He's not saying, look at me, because I'm. this is not Paul being arrogant like they are arrogant. This is Paul saying, look at the way I live my life. Look at the trials that he has been through. And yet, Paul always brought glory to Christ. It wasn't about Paul. And that's where he's trying to say, this is the model that you should follow. The other thing he's trying to say is... As a father to them, that's what we're all called to do. So here's the discipleship discussion. A true Christian follower, a true follower of Christ is going to be making disciples. If you remember what Jesus said to each of the disciples when he first met them, what did he say to them? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And when he left, what did he say? He said, go make disciples. He told us all to go make disciples. I'm going to encourage each of you, I know we all are Christians, we are followers of Christ, but I'm going to ask you, where are your children? If you're a true follower of Christ and you're mature in your faith, I realize there's some people in our group that are young in their faith, and that's okay, but at some point you've got to mature. We saw that when we were reading a few weeks ago. we got to mature in our faith. And if we can't point to children and grandchildren that we've helped raise, there's something wrong because that's what we were called to do. So where are our children? Where are our grandchildren? Meaning people that we've helped come to faith, we've helped them mature, and we've positioned them to then go let them be disciple makers. That's what each of us are called to do. And I know we talk about this, but I just want you to really think about it and pray to God about it. We're going to go through this book to help equip us to be in the position to make disciples. And so I really want all of us to take this seriously because this isn't me. I'm not the one. If you feel a little guilt right now from this discussion, don't feel guilt from what Larry's saying. I'm just telling you what the book says. This is what Jesus told us. That's all I'm telling you. So if you're feeling it a little bit on your heart, let's do something about it. And if you need help, I'm here to help you. But that is what we're all called to do, is to help other people become followers, not just our children, not just our real children, but make spiritual children. How cool will it be? I just have this vision, and I can't point to anything a verse in the Bible specifically, but to get to heaven, it's my goal to be told by Jesus' well done, good and faithful servant. And look at all these people who are up here that I work through you to get them up here. Here's part of your family, your spiritual family. I mean, how cool is that? And I think Jesus wants us to have a spiritual family of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren that you can just follow through, just like Paul is saying. He was a father, and these are his children, so where are our children? Here is Paul, and remember, when Paul is writing, these are the words of God. So this is God talking. And what does he say? He says, I exhort you, therefore, to be an imitator of me. And what is he talking about? He's talking about being a father through the gospel. You see that? God is telling us here, right here in these verses, to be imitators of Paul and to be fathers, spiritual fathers to others through the gospel.
1: It would be really cool as we're talking about being in heaven and seeing all those that God used, but because we're in the family through Christ, Which is not bloodline through faith, but Christ is in bloodline with David. Yes. That through that relationship we'll be able to see and get to know David as well.
0: And we're adopted sons. Yeah. We are adopted. Think about how big of a family that's We read about that in Ephesians, that's right. But God wants to use every one of us to make more children and grandchildren. That's what he wants us to do. And particularly those of you who I'll just say I won't talk age, uh (laughs) Have some worldly experience? You've been in the world a little longer than others? You know, think about maybe there's somebody, a younger guy somewhere that you could mentor, that you could pour yourself into, that you could use this book, this four priorities book, to actually go and work with and pour yourself into and prepare them to go do the same. That's where you're going to get your grandchildren. You might pray about that. See if God will put on your heart somebody, bring somebody into your life, and just one. If you just go do one, think of the impact that that could have as they go. If you do one a year, and that one that you do one a year goes and does one a year, that's the whole idea of multiplication. That's what it's all about. Multiply yourself. That's what we're called to do. Any questions? And so look at verse 17. Here you see Timothy, who is someone who Paul did that very same thing to. Paul poured his life into Timothy to prepare him to then go and make more children, spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren to Paul. Verse 17, he says, For this reason I have sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul's very consistent. That's what he does everywhere. And Timothy has been trained by Paul, and Paul has now made Timothy into a disciple-maker. So now Timothy can go make disciple, not just make disciples, but make disciple-makers. Verse 18, Now some of you have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. So there's some people in the church of Corinth Who had become very bold in their stances that were unbiblical. And they were thinking, well, Paul's never going to come back, so I don't have to worry about Paul. It's okay if I add these few little things to what Paul's teachings were, because Paul's never coming back. He's not going to correct me, and this is what sort of makes me a little different. And Paul says, verse 19, But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And by the way, that's how we should always pray. Always be planning. Paul and Jesus don't say don't plan, but make plans, but then always seek the will of God. And if you plan and God wills something different, be flexible to do what God tells you to do. Nothing wrong with planning. God can always call an audible. That is right. That is right. <laughs> so plan, but always seek the Lord's will. So Paul says, But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not only the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. So he's going to come. When he returns, he's going to challenge these people. But he's not going to challenge them with word. He's going to challenge them with the power of God. He's basically saying your talk is cheap. And the power of God is stronger than your arrogant and worldly wisdom. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And so he closes this out what do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So Paul's encouraging them if they repent and they change their ways, then Paul can return to them with love and praise. Some of the things that I take away, and then I want to hear your thoughts of how we apply this. Christ alone is going to judge us, and I would say judging others is a problem that I really struggle with that's a sin that continues to burden me. I'm getting a little better about catching it when I begin to do it. I'm on step one of the 12-step program. I know I've got a problem, but that's a real, that's a real weakness for me, and I ask you all to pray about that. And Paul is, uh, this is very convicting to me about how Paul's talking about judging others, and he's telling us we shouldn't do that. So that's something I definitely take away from this lesson. And also that leaders, no matter where we are, no matter what position God has placed us in, we're to be humble servants and realize that where we are, we're to thank God for it. We may think it was because we're so bright and we can come up with some incredible strategy or whatever it is, we're creative or we're geniuses. Even if we are, if you were a genius and creative and strategic God gave you that too. We owe everything we have to God, and God has us in our place as leaders for a reason. What does he want to do through you to impact the lives of others? And finally, this call to discipleship that we keep seeing. I know that we've spent a lot of time in here talking about it, but that's because, as you've noticed, it's in this book everywhere we go, and so (coughs) it must be important. Uh, and I ask all of us to really pray about it and try to figure out how God wants to use us to impact other people's lives, not only in evangelism, that's sharing the gospel, but in discipleship making, that's helping people mature to become disciple makers themselves. So, discussion?
1: I think for me around the discipleship, oftentimes in recounting a situation or scenario, I tend to neglect the idea or even... Say the idea that you know this is something God's done in our life. To me, at times, that feels a little arrogant that He chose. But on the other hand, that's where the credit needs to go, and it's uh, turning the attention on that versus on me, like you were saying earlier, gifts or talents or whatever it may be. And that's to me, that's one of the challenges I face: is making sure that He's getting the credit, at least verbally. I already know He is, but
0: verbally, and making sure other people see that as well that we're giving god the credit not taking it ourselves
1: yeah for me a, a big i love the theme of humility he talks about you know what do you have that you did not receive and if you didn't receive it why do you boast that you did not and i was i remembered uh first timothy one fifteen, where he says here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. That's pretty powerful. Yes. He's saying I'm the I'm the chief of
0: sinners. And that's Paul saying. And that's Paul saying. Yeah. So that's very, very humble.
1: My perspective, it's been easier for me to share my faith through temple show morals, maybe share scripture. I've never been very good or strong about sharing the gospel, trying to find that lost sheep, but I've been it's been comfortable to me to say, look making your sales number, whatever, you know, those are nice. But in reality, the long term is that you do the right thing all the way through life. And results go up and down. You don't cheat to win. is my you know, It doesn't matter that you win, you cheated to get there.
0: And you may be doing that, but even when you're, you say you're not very good about sharing the gospel, it would be very easy, and you're probably already doing it, that as you're saying do the right thing, that it's not doing the right thing that gets you your salvation. and, And in fact, you can't even do the right thing without having the Holy Spirit in you to cause you to do the right thing. I was talking to somebody the other day and I gave this analogy that somebody long ago gave me and I just love it. If you think of our lives, if we're living the life that Paul's describing here and that Christ asked us to live, we should be like the glove and the Holy Spirit is the hand. So the glove can't do anything without the hand moving. If we were really living our life the right way, everything we do is guided by the Holy Spirit as that hand inside the glove. I just love that analogy and so that's awesome that you're doing that And, and we should all be doing that. I'm just asking us to take it up just a notch, all of us, and maybe even begin each day saying, you know what, Holy Spirit just put in my life today Somebody, just today, I'm not asking you to do it tomorrow, but today I want a shot at this. Give me a shot at somebody. Put me in a position to be able to just try this on somebody, to share either my story, my testimony, why I have the peace I have. Just put somebody in front of me somewhere. Tap on my heart hard when that person is there that you want me to talk to and just try it. And once you've done it once, it's so easy after that. It really is. And then to take the next step, that's evangelism, but to take the next step and actually go and pour your life into somebody else for a year and make a total difference, help them mature, help them get a solid foundation in what you believe and what we study in here in this study all the time, pour that into them. People are afraid, you know, the biggest excuse that I used to use was, well, I don't know enough. You don't have to have all the answers. If they ask a question, I get asked questions all the time, and I go, that's a great question. I'll get back to you on it. And you can call me, you can go do some studying yourself, but that's okay. I think they actually like to hear that you don't know the answer. That's okay. You don't have all the answers. And you can always come back to just like the blind man. You remember when the Pharisees kept saying, how did that happen? How did you regain your sight? And the blind man couldn't answer. But what did he say? I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And all you got to do is say, that's a great question. I don't know. But all I know is this is how my life has changed since I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Anybody can do that. It's that simple. But I will get you your answer. That's all you gotta do. So I'm just trying to encourage you. It's not me. I'm just telling you what Jesus Christ has asked each of us to do. That's all I'm. I'm encouraging you. I think for me, the excuse I use, other than like not having the words, is um, in chapter or in verse two. Moreover, is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So I'll be like, man, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy to be according to another man or. Um, disciple somebody but like lately <clears throat> I just kind of tried to be like more faithful and trust that like I'll have supernatural energy to or i have balance my time better to invest in somebody and I have more energy none of us think we have enough time because I used to not think I had enough time until you start realizing that god even gave you all your time and so if he gave us our time and he's telling us here what he wants to do with our time i felt a little convicted as i reflected on that and so just ask god show me what you want me to do help make this clear to me i'm not telling you what to do i'm just trying to encourage you by you know what's being asked of each of us Uh, i'm encouraging you to pray about it and let the holy spirit convict you it's not me convicting you i I'm not here to judge you. It didn't, hey, don't do it for me. That's between you and God, of even how you go about it. But reflect on these words and what are we each being called to do? You,
1: you brought up a point about you know, our time is God's time. I used to reflect on my time as saying I don't have time for that. And all it was was me just turning it around and saying I haven't taken it. Yeah, and whose priorities are you they?
0: You know, is it, it, an easy is excuse is it, is it our I priorities?
1: For, I don't have time to go do that. Thank yeah. you very much. Right. And the answer is I haven't. Taking the
0: time. Mm -hmm. Go over to Matthew twenty-eight. These are some of the last words that Jesus said. Have you all been to a funeral somewhere and you know sometimes people reflect on the things that the deceased, some of the last things they said. Usually the things you say on your deathbed are pretty important. You're wanting to at least, hey, you may forget everything else I said, but let me just leave you with this. And look at the last verses of Matthew twenty-eight. Matthew 28, 19, go, therefore, and make disciples. It doesn't say pastors go make disciples, so it's not up to the pastors to do This is Jesus' plan. Go make disciples. So, yes, we should live our life in a way that is light and people see Christ in us, but I think it goes further than that. We are commanded, go and make disciples. And, in fact, when you go look at the original text here, uh, the imperative is on make disciples. So this really can be translated as, as you are going, make disciples. So as you are living your life, as you are going about your life, as you are going to work, as you are doing whatever it is you're doing, as you're filling your car up with gas, as you go to the grocery store, make disciples. Now, does that mean you got to do it 24-7 all day? No. It means do it when the Holy Spirit taps on your heart and says, go say something. And the only way you're going to feel that tapping on your heart is if you're in constant communication with the Holy Spirit, you're in the Word, and the Holy Spirit will tap on your heart and say, you need to say something. When you feel that, just obey. That's all. That's all it takes.
1: And here's the encouragement, the very last line that says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Mm. That's really important. You're you're not doing it by yourself.
0: Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.